This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. I'm Sarah Dolezal, a member of the National Press Club's broadcast podcast team. For this episode of Update One, I'm chatting with Michelle Duke, who has over 25 years of experience in the media industry, working as a journalist and a trade association nonprofit executive. Michelle is president of the National Association of Broadcasters Leadership Foundation and the chief diversity officer for NAB. Increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout the media industry has been widely reported on by national news organizations. Michelle and I will discuss the current diversity, equity, and inclusion landscape across mass media. Welcome, Michelle. Well, thanks, Sarah, for having me. So what is NAB's role in diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts within the media industry? I would say that we are there to be a resource, uh, not only to our members, but also to broadcasters in general, radio and television broadcasters in general. Our goal is to understand what their needs are in terms of building out and or fleshing out diversity, equity, and inclusion, or as I'll reference it here, often DE&I strategies, um, initiatives that they're offering within their station or organization, and to reinforce that with programs that we offer either through our foundation or through NAB. And Michelle, you developed the concept of foundation's continuum of programs, including the creation of several current and previous initiatives, such as a leadership development program, technology apprenticeship program, and connections mentoring program. As of 2007, you oversee the broadcast leadership training program designed to train senior-level executive broadcasters to purchase, own, and operate stations. How does spearheading internal efforts to further DEI help the mass media landscape? So these efforts that you're referencing are all industry-facing. Some of them we um, have done, they were successful, and we either continue to offer them or in other areas we're always assessing what we offer and responding to the industry's needs, and therefore we no longer offer them or we offer them in some other iteration. You mentioned uh, the technology apprenticeship program, that and our media sales academy are programs that are offered by the foundation. The media sales academy was started over 20 um, years ago, long before I arrived, and it was designed to move, in particular, college students or recent college graduates uh, of color into sales positions. And the reason we focused on sales, one obvious reason, stations, you know, corporations are always looking for um, great sales executives um, and have a dire need for that. That's the lifeblood, if you will, of at least the business side of our industry. And we also noticed that the career trajectory for sales professionals led to management with stations. So this was designed to be a feeder program that would, over time, result in more managers of color in the business. And I'd like to think that we've we've had some success with that. Um, Our technology apprenticeship program, very similarly focused in terms of goal, uh, in terms of, you know, getting more 
women and more people of color into engineering and technology in our business where we've had so many advances over the last years uh, in technology and definitely need a new generation of engineers and technologists to even consider our industry. Uh, and as you might imagine, unlike journalism, there's a bit of education that goes into, first of all, sharing with students that those possibilities even exist. You can't always or hear uh, as you can in, you know, on air, you know, positions or news positions that that role exists. You can't always see a salesperson in action or an engineer climbing in tower and or doing something on the technology side. So we educate students about those opportunities and work hard to get them into diversity roles. And then finally, I'll just say, you mentioned the Broadcast Leadership Training Program. That program's 20 years old as well. Actually, it's, it's leading into its 21st year. We, we are now working with our 21st class in that program. And it's a 10-month program that was started by a very, very wise woman named Diane Spitter in the industry who spent time as a senior-level executive in broadcasting and then later as an owner and decided after she purchased her first station, that she should provide, and she was called, frankly, to provide insight for women and people of color who may not have had the tools and resources, insight, mentors she had when she made her first purchase. So that's a 10-month program that's executive MBA style that meets once a month with 325 grads, 50 of whom have owned and or still own stations, and over 65% of whom have been promoted into very high-level senior positions in the industry. So from my understanding, what you're trying to do is to get women or people of color into more of these executive roles or more of other roles that maybe some people might overlook because they're just not really aware of those opportunities. Is that correct then? Correct. Yeah, that amongst other things, I mean, we certainly want to assist broadcasters with their diverse B&I efforts, if you will, overall. But in particular, there are areas where we see a, a remarkable dearth, if you will, of women and people of color. And we, we're doing our, our work to try and assist in those areas. And what are some of the trends you've come across in DEI initiatives? I think that over the years, you know, in lots of companies, broadcast or otherwise, when they hear diversity, equity, and inclusion immediately gravitate towards recruitment opportunities and their own recruitment efforts um, and what they're doing to increase diversity among the ranks. Um, and so you'll see lots of partnerships with organizations that cater to diverse audiences. You'll see participation in diversity-related, you know, um, career events and um, very targeted efforts in that area. Then, and to some extent, when they've gone even further, you see lots of retentionary um, efforts, if you will, where they've created open dialogue within their organizations or an employee resource group to have more conversations so that once you attract diverse candidates, they're not walking into an organization that's not receptive, if you will, mm -hmm. 
But a lot of these efforts are not archaic. I won't say that in any extent because they're all still very much relevant. They've been around for a while. They've been efforts that have been undertaken for quite some time. What I'm seeing now and what I think will begin to emerge uh, will be very specific efforts to target and shift some of the systemic issues that we've been facing not only in our industry, but just as the corporate, you know, I guess, if you will, world, in the corporate world. For instance, you know, now more people are really focusing on that E, you know, um, in the DE&I, the equity piece, (laughs) um, looking at whether women are paid the same as men, whether people of color are being promoted at the same rate where they are doing their recruitment and how they are doing their retention and tailoring it so that people feel on par and the inclusion that they talk about and that they set up in terms of their culture is now being walked out through their equity practices. And so I'm starting to see more of that. Are there any other specific um, areas of improvement then? I think it really goes toward not being one size fits all. Uh, I think that organizations that are serious about advancing their DE&I initiatives and their efforts um, have to stay, step back and do an assessment, like a self-assessment. I typically would suggest that they have somebody kind of guide them through their process that's an expert in this area, unless they have someone on staff that has this expertise. And and then do an overall, overarching assessment. I mean, if, like thinking about coverage and thinking about content um, and, you know, how you cover one community versus another, um, who you're sending out to those stories, um, you know, who gets preference in terms of certain assignments. Um, and, and that is hard work. It's not something that... I think any of us would expect to be done overnight, but I certainly think that those organizations, whether they be media or otherwise, you know, to your first question, that dig into that will start to slowly see results and they will indeed be the leaders um, for the rest of, you know, either corporate America or more specifically our, our media landscape in terms of impacting change. So it seems that efforts have been made, but there's still a lot of work to do then, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Still a lot of work to do. And so what attracts you to diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and why is your role important for the mass media industry? I can only give you a personal, you know, answer, because you said you. <laughs> what attracts me? So <laughs> what attracts me, um, you know, there are layers of things. I mean, not only... Um, the fact that I've been impacted in in a number of ways by either the lack of diversity or the effort to increase diversity. As a young black woman growing up in newspapers, there were times when I may have been one of two and then one of few, either people of color uh, in the newsroom and or... I've worked, you know, for a fantastic newspaper that had a program designed to shift that, and I was a part of that. 
And later I ended up running and managing that program. And so very early on in my career, right out of college, because I was in high school when I participated in that program, I understood that the program existed for a reason. And it was plainly apparent when I walked into the newsroom and I didn't see a whole lot of folks that looked like me. So what pleased me, even in my young mind then, was the fact that they were working to do something about it. And I felt compelled to jump in and help, particularly since I was able to acquire my first reporting job through that, you know, that experience. And so I felt there was something I needed to, to give back, you know, and to, you know, that, that I had a role. That said, you know, I think you'll notice when you look at a lot of chief diversity officers or people with diversity responsibility that they typically are people of color and in many instances women. And so it's a kind of double-edged type of thing where you naturally um, may be inclined, maybe inclined to do something, to make a difference, to partner um, with leaders and other leaders like yourself. Um, but it's important for senior leadership to, to buy in. And it's important that you have partners really who take on just as much responsibility um, and bear a bit of the burden along with you um, so that you're not essentially solving the, the very issue that that you're facing, <laughs> if yeah. you will. Sure. And so, um, and so, yeah, you find, you know, that many times these folks that are leading the charge are also, you know, right there in the fray. And so when you have situations where you have the partners and, and where you have senior leaders, industry leaders, all the way down, you know, to entry-level people who are interested and engaged, I think you see more effective results. So it's important to me because I think, you know, we have a ways to go, and it's not something I, I want to let go of, but it's also, I think, beneficial to the industry in that diversity begets innovation. I mean, there, there are numerous studies that show that diversity begets innovation. Ideas, you know, can shift or impact your revenue. And so it's, it's more than just something that's the right thing to do. And so do you feel that the broadcast industry is any different than maybe the print or digital industry within the media landscape? I think we're all on a journey. I don't want to say that we've, we've advanced further or that they've advanced further. I think we are all exploring various approaches towards moving the needle. And one thing I can say, I can speak for the industry I serve now, in that, that there's a renewed um, and I think an authentic sincerity around um, trying to, to get this work done. And I hope, because I've experienced even that before, you know, on the print side, that we're able to to move the needle and, you know, see the difference. But I wouldn't compare, you know, how we're doing or how we're measuring up against any other industries. 
I'm just aware, I would say, that everybody's, everybody's on the journey. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Michelle. Do you have anything else to add by any chance? No, I've enjoyed having this conversation with you, Sarah, and thanks for thinking of me. And I would only encourage anyone who's interested in knowing about what we're doing with diversity. In addition to the programs I mentioned, we have a DEI resource center, and that can be found either at the NAB.org website or the NABFoundation.org website. And I'm happy to be a resource to anyone who needs any additional insights. Thank you very much. For Update 1, I'm Sarah Dolezal. Update 1 is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update 1 by sending an email to update1podcast.com. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One.